Ladies and yeah. gentlemen, this is musicians having coffee and talking about stuff. Oh. And we have the wonderful Dave Bainbridge with us today. Like it's a Hello. some kind of official show. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's just dudes you know just musicians talking about stuff yeah so yeah. how's it going man good yeah i was just standing a couple of open air gigs at the weekend so i've been hoovering the grass off my gear oh right <laughs> <laughs> yeah open yeah, air gigs oh there's so they're having some open air gigs over there now yes yeah i've done uh i think five gigs now since um since the pandemic yeah uh, oh, first okay. one was last month but yeah this this last weekend um quite a contrast really because uh saturday was um a gig with the strobes where i play keyboards yeah uh, and that was a big big rock festival called rock against cancer with a lot of kind of well-known 70s and 80s bands yeah um yeah you know and there was about uh, three and a half thousand people there so it was quite you know a huge field and uh and they, they managed to um like uh, separate people out a little bit, so it wasn't like completely crammed, right? Um, so there was some semblance of, of trying to have some social distancing, but uh, yeah, so that was great. And then the, the following day, um, I was playing in Canterbury um, uh, with uh, Sally Manier, uh, who I do a duo with, and we were playing in front of about fifty people on, on a cricket pitch <laughs> in great. in in Canterbury. So everyone was in deck chairs uh, on that one. And nice. you know, drinking drinking tea, and so it was a completely different vibe from the rock festival. That right, we did before, right. But equally as as good. Yeah, uh, just so good, so good to be in front of people again. Yes, and playing playing live. That's what's great about playing music. You know, it can be so different. From I enjoy the differences. You know, I'll do, especially uh, then you bring in the the church stuff. You know, I yes. might have a yeah. might have a little worship service with forty people on one day, and then fly mm. off and do some big rock gig. You know, and uh, like you yeah. said, I I think that it's almost like they're um, they're equally as good. They can be equally as rewarding. Definitely, I yeah. yeah. I mean, I, what I like what I like about the small gigs is you get the chance to speak to most of the audience. <laughs> at yeah. some point um you know after the gig which is really nice which most of the time is good yeah yeah most of the time yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, they, they, yeah i had this one gig that i did i was doing when i was doing the life and times tour which i, I met with you on that yeah didn't oh we? yes yeah i remember yes. I, when i was doing my uh so yeah that was about three looping, years ago looping yeah. this is me hitting my guitar yeah the, the looping thing yeah and all that and uh, I, yeah, I've talked to everybody after the gig. It was like sort of like part of the thing was the meet and greet was included kind of thing. Yes. You know? Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah most of the time it was great. There was this one night when I'd just done like four in a row and we'd driven far. You know, sometimes you're pretty tired mm, after the yes. <laughs> after yeah. the gig. And uh, if there's a if there's a long line and then somebody wants to like tell you their life story and <laughs> yes yeah yeah that, yeah and, uh, some, people, some people don't get the hint as to when to when to stop talking and there's right. other people around kind of you know you want to give attention to but and it would yeah. be like and it would be like really quietly he would this one guy would say to me um you know and when you wrote that lyric you know it was something from like you know 20 years ago when you mm. wrote this lyric, you know, did you mean this or did you mean that? You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kind of like, well, yeah. you know, I mean, <laughs> in the right yeah. in the right framework that you might love to have that conversation, right? But yes. if you're yeah. like super yeah. tired and it's one in the morning and there's a bunch of people in line behind the person, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, so. Yeah. There was, there were yeah. some times when uh, when I wished I had a handler. I'll just say that, <laughs> you know, yeah. somebody to go like, hey, uh, can you just somebody to say, hey, keep moving, you know? Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Anyway, not to oh, be we, not to be rude or anything. I had a um, we did a gig in Germany with Iona once, and um, I think uh, this German guy had the right idea. He uh, 
he came in. We we just finished the gig, and he he came into the dressing room. I don't know who let him in. And he just said, uh, uh, "I want your your uh, signature. I want your signature, your autogram. You, not you. No, not you. You." <laughs> <laughs> So he missed out the bit. He didn't want the bass player's autograph. It was just, <laughs> for some reason, it was, it was very strange. Wow, that that that's, uh, <laughs> that that had to hurt a little bit. Well, that's cool. You're getting out to playing, and yeah, I haven't really. Yes, uh, yes, I haven't done that yet. Actually, what one one thing that was one thing that was really interesting, I have to say, at the weekend. Um, was how nice all of the the crew were, you know, like the, the, the stage manager and the, the roadies. It, they, it was incredible. They, they couldn't do enough to help carry equipment. And, um, you know, like in previous times, I mean, sometimes you get great crew and sometimes, um, you know, they've, they've been overworked and, you know, and they feel if, if you ask them anything, it's like you're hassling them. But right. everyone was so, so nice. And uh, the stage manager was saying, it's just so great to be working again. Oh, wow. So it was such a nice atmosphere between the, the crew and the, um, the musicians. Um, yeah, that can so be unusual. That, that can be unusual, especially at festivals. Yeah. A lot of times the festival guys are just like, get in and get out. And, yeah. You know. Um, yeah, because, I mean, it was like that. There was, you know, so many bands on. And two, they were running two stages simultaneously in that. But um, yeah, yeah, nothing was too much trouble, which was fantastic. They actually <laughs> pulled the plug on us at High Voltage. The, oh, then when the Neil Morris band played there, yeah, it was I, it was so funny. Uh, I that was probably, that was probably um, halfway through your first tune, I imagine. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Well, I was doing testimony too, you know, so it was like a whole story, a whole album, right? And, yes. Uh, yeah. And and what happened was the band knew, like I guess the the stage manager guy was pointing to the plug, going like twenty seconds, and I'm going to pull it. So they <laughs> they cut the whole band, got the message. I was out at the edge of the stage, you know, delivering the end of this thing. <laughs> So I didn't get the memo, and um, all of a sudden they, the band started playing the end of the album, and I was playing and singing, and all of a sudden it's like what? Yeah, <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah, they just went to like the 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 closing chords, so whatever I was playing was in the wrong key, you know. Oh. <laughs> it was truly, truly bizarre, but uh, yeah, and it it's was really it was really, um, go ahead. There's a there's a film it may be on YouTube, but I remember seeing it on TV of Dire Straits when they were huge in the eighties. Yeah, playing you know this massive gig somewhere, and at the end there's there's people coming on stage and, and dismantling the equipment before they've even finished, <laughs> and and it's being filmed. It's on the TV and everything. That's great. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't really matter what status you're at. I don't think if if it's time to stop. You're right. <laughs> Yeah, they're on the. Those guys are on the clock, and yeah. Uh, yeah, you know it's so funny, all the things. Speaking of big, big festivals and footage, um, do you remember before like people had guitar tuners? Oh yes, yes, yeah, <laughs> yes. And so you're giving each other notes on stage. Yes, right. While yes. while the lead singer or whoever's trying to like maybe. Talk. You're in the background going. Dur, dur, dur. You remember that? Yes. Yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> I always thought it was so bad, you know. And and uh, I was in a band with my brothers. It was kind of a punk band in the early '80s. You know, oh. it's like ah, oh, Prague. Forget about that. You know, we're gonna be yes. like. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what we were like. Sort of. I don't know, like a really super... We weren't really punk. It was more like power pop, really, you know, mm. um, in L.A. And, and I, but I remember we were going so crazy all the time, you know, just jump. We were young and jumping and pounding. I was playing bass, but I was playing it almost like a guitar. Like, yeah. you know. Oh, great. So we were just yeah. so out of tune 
all the time, you know, with no, 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 nothing locking. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. So all the time yeah. we were like, dar, dar. hey, give me some notes, man. Sometimes we'd have to just, there, there was just us. We didn't have a lead singer to talk while we were doing it. So we would just be, <laughs> it, yeah. was, it was yeah. horrible. And, and I think then, the most, yeah, the most sophisticated thing you could get then was those pan pipes, which had the six notes on the guitar. Oh, you had to go through. yeah, we didn't have that. Well, they had the uh, big, they have the big giant strobe tuners, like the oh, yes. piano tuners used or something like that. But nobody had those. Yeah, yeah, I remember seeing one of those. One of the first sessions I did in a studio um, was with um, Dave Marquis, who. who at the time, had just been playing bass with Eric Clapton, mm. and um, he uh, not only did he have a, like a, a personal assistant to tune all this stuff up, but they had this this big like thing. It looked like something from a science laboratory, which I, yeah, I didn't understand what it was. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it's all moving around, all weird. Yeah. Like, oh, when it stops moving, that means you're in tune, right? Yeah. <laughs> that was crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But what reminded me of it was I was watching uh, Jethro Tull at the Isle of Wight Festival in like, you know, really early, like whenever that was, 69 or something like that. And it almost seems like, like you know, Ian Anderson is starting My God and the other guys are still tuning up in the background. I don't know if yeah. you've seen that, but you can hear him going, yeah, yeah. It, made me, it made me. It wasn't like a mute switch either, those uh, right because normally the guitar was just straight into the amp. Yeah, uh, maybe one pedal or something. But it made me yeah. feel so much better to hear yes. them doing that. It's like, oh, it wasn't just us. Yeah. yeah. So Iona, tell me about Iona. <laughs> yeah, if if you guys don't know, Iona was the the it would be your main band that you had been in for the longest time, right? Yes, yeah. Um yeah, we, we formed in um nineteen eighty nine and um it ran up until two thousand and sixteen when we uh, did our last gigs and, and recording. That's um, a long time, man. Yeah, twenty seven years or something. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, in fact actually going back to what you were saying um about playing in a like a punk band at the beginning of the eighties, um after I left college, because I, I loved all the classic um, frog bands like Yes and Genesis um, in the, when I was growing up as a teenager, and um, and then got into bands like Hatfield in the North, the Canterbury kind of scene bands. Right, yeah, yeah. And uh, then, but when I, by the time I got to music college, um, punk had come in, and that was kind of all, it basically overnight, became unfashionable yeah. and um well when i left college it was um music college it was 1980 1980 and um so that was in leeds was it i wanted to get a progressive rock band together in leeds yeah yeah in leeds in, in england yeah so i wanted to get a progressive rock band together because i still loved that music and um so i formed a band with my sister and a few few college friends called plan b and uh we wrote these um, really long comp compositions, uh, like you know, in the style of Yes and Hatfield in the North, with lots of time signature changes and instrumental sections. And my sister was a, a singer, and we both played keyboards, so we had a lot of keyboards in there. Um, so we rehearsed for about a year and a half every Saturday, and then thought it would be time to get some gigs. Right, and just no one would book us at all. It was <laughs> terrible because it the, that music just. People just didn't want to hear it anymore. You're right. So, yeah. Um, um, so from that point, really, I, I from the rest of the '80s, I was basically working on or playing in different genres of music um, up until Iona in 1989. Um, when um, I mean, I, I really got into like the new wave bands, like Talking Heads and people like that as yeah. well in the early 80s, late, late 70s, early 80s. And in Leeds, there was a fantastic live music scene. Um, lo loads of really energetic kind of new wave bands. Which yeah. Going to see. 
Uh, and there was the occasional prog band still happening, but you know, hardly anyone would go to those gigs. But um, so um, I was playing a lot of blues as well and soul music with different bands and jazz funk and jazz fusion. So I suppose I, because um, I studied, studied jazz at college, so it gave me a chance to flex my jazz chops for a, a few years and get into um, writing music for films. Oh, um, wow, that's cool. But um, then when, I don't know if you remember a band called Clanad yeah. from, um, yeah, from Ireland. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, originally they were a folk band and I used to love what they did when they were an acoustic folk band. But um, around about 1983, they released this album called Magical Ring, um, which was just phenomenal. It had these amazing harm- vocal harmonies, mm-hmm. all in Irish Gaelic. Um, but they'd also incorporated um, like a proper rhythm section and synthesizers. Um, so for me, um, it, that felt like a real um, natural progression from the, the progressive rock of the 70s, like Yes and Genesis, to something that still had that kind of adventurous spirit, but was kind of going off at a tangent, incorporating folk music. Yeah. Um, so I was a big fan of Clannard and saw them live at the, around about mid 80s several times. And they, they had a, an amazing live backing band mm. with uh, people like Mel Collins from King Crimson. Uh, oh, really? Live. Yeah, on, ah. on saxophones. Cool. Um, and uh, this great guitarist called Anton Drennan, who later went, <laughs> later went uh, on to play live with Genesis and uh, a later incarnation. Oh, wow. Um, so um, um, they were a big influence. And when it got to the late 80s, I was really keen to form and have another go at forming a, you know, my own musical project. Yeah. And met, met a, a multi-instrumentalist saxophone woodwind player called Dave Fitzgerald. And um, we, we were actually playing as session musicians for various other artists, and, but found we had so much in common in the music we liked. Was that um, in Leeds still? or uh, This was, were... no, um, Dave was actually from Canterbury uh, at the time, mm. lived in Canterbury, and we were, um, one of the artists we were playing with extensively was called Adrian Snell. Um, and we were basically re- um, touring with him, just the three of us, and he'd written this big choral project called Alpha and Omega, mm. which kind of explored the history of basically the history of the Bible. <laughs> so it was uh-huh. quite, the, the history of the Jewish nation, really, mm-hmm. right up, right from the beginning up through the Holocaust and everything. So it was a very emotional work. And uh, we had big choirs, but the, the core of the band was the three of us, Adrian singing and playing keyboards, and Dave Fitzgerald and myself on multiple keyboards. Um, so we often had loads of time in sound checks um, to just to jam together, and myself and Dave. And... Um, we were coming up with some music we thought was really, you know, had some, some kind of promise and originality. And um, at the same time, well, we, um, we shared the, our Christian faith. Yeah. Um, but we kept do, working with Adrian, we realized that we knew, well, beginning to know a lot about the, the Jewish side of the Christian faith, the history. Yeah. But uh, not how, not how, Christianity had arrived in Britain. Um, that was a real complete unknown. Mm. And um, to cut a long story short, we we found out that um, back in the sixth century, um, a monk from Ireland called Saint Columba travelled to the island of Iona, which is a small island off the west coast of Scotland, and set up a, a mission base there and evangelised the whole of Scotland and northern Britain. Uh, over the next hundred years with you know, various people following oh. him. And there were these amazing tales of miracles and um, uh, courage and just fantastic stories. And uh, when you go to Iona as well, which we did a few times, uh, it's just an amazing place. And um, it's one of those places where I think someone said that it's like a, a thin place. It, it, uh, so there are certain places where they, uh, it feels like the distance between heaven and earth is really close. Yeah. I don't know if you can experience that. Um, sure. It just yeah. in, in sometimes in geographical locations and that going there, we really felt that. So 
we we decided to call the project Iona. It wasn't really even a band. It was just a, um, like an umbrella name for the music we were writing and decided that um, a bit like Clannard, we, we felt that um, we want, we really wanted uh, female vocals yeah. involved. Um, we came across Joanne Hogg again through Adrian Snell because um, we'd worked together on an album of his um, and she had the most wonderful voice and uh, uh, crucially could also play keyboards and guitar really well. So, which fitted because we wanted her to have a project that had uh, vocals, but also had long instrumental sections. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, somehow people kind of caught, latched onto it. We did um, one gig on the fringe of a festival in England called Greenbelt, um, which was like a big Christian arts festival. And um, we played for half an hour. And uh, after the gig, we got two uh, recording offers for recording contracts from different record companies, which was quite strange, but um, kind of confirmation that what we were doing was relevant and you know interesting. Man, to, that's to that's wonderful. Yeah. yeah, I've never heard of that really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think one of the things that about this, the nineteen eighties in in Britain, um, there was the the Thatcher government in. Are you, is, I feel like, uh, hold on a second, I think something's wrong. Yeah. Check one, two, one. That's getting better. I don't, I don't know. I feel like something went a bit awry with the audio here, but oh, maybe that, that looks maybe better we, now. Yeah. That looks better. Go ahead. Anyway, okay. yes. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's no point in talking if, uh, if it doesn't get recorded. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, in the 1980s in, in Britain, um, like at this, the, uh, the well, to go back, um, when, when Plan B didn't work out, my, my prog band, um, me and my sister and a, a friend formed just a like a club act working on working men's clubs in England so we could make some money. Yeah. And, um, so working men's clubs were, uh, there were just hundreds of them in the north of England at the time. And um, lots of them would be in like mining villages. Um, so you get really, really kind of um, close-knit communities and they'd, um, everyone would go to the club on a Saturday night and a Sunday night and drink lots of beer and play bingo. And there'd usually, usually be a live music act. Um, but it was usually, you know, the, the live music act was like the support for the bingo because everyone, that was <laughs> what people liked to do. So... Um, uh, but then, um, you know, a couple of years later, there were, um, the Thatcher government was in, in this conservative government and um, they decided to close all the mines in England. So suddenly, almost overnight, thousands of people were unemployed. And, you know, in the course of the next decade or so, all these mining villages, kind of the, all the mines closed and all consequently all the working man's clubs closed as well. Wow. I never um, heard that. Yeah. So it was a real time of um, political upheaval in a way. And there were, there were lots of protests and riots right, around wow. England in the early eighties. Um, and the, the, the conservative government at the time seemed to be really materialistically ori oriented. Wow. Um, and we felt, uh, myself and Dave talked about this a lot and felt that, that almost that was permeating into the church as well and the church's view of, of things. Mm. Um, so um, when we discovered the kind of these early Christians like uh, Columba, who came from almost like a completely different mindset, it was like um, uh, suddenly um, the, mo the important things were um, the environment and just um, uh, just people and um, uh, relationship with God. Um, they uh, they went into they seemed to go to um, remote places, but also just um, lived very humbly and very simple lifestyles. Right. Um, so yeah, so that had a big influence on. Um, kind of what the, the thinking behind Iona and uh, 
Right. So yeah. so yeah. So we wrote music that was kind of um, influenced by those ideas and also the landscapes of Iona and another island called Lindisfarne, which we visited a lot, which is off the west, uh, the east coast of um, England. Um, yeah, it's a sad thing with uh, the you know Christians and the church becoming materialistic is hmm. something that we you know Jesus yeah. def Jesus definitely taught against that <laughs> you know uh, yes take yeah. take no thought for your life or what you should wear or what you should you know about material yeah. things what you or what you'll eat. Uh, Yes, you know your yeah. heavenly Father knows that you'll you need those things, and he'll he'll provide for you. Yes. Yeah, I think yes. there's 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 a real lack of um, among Christians uh, as well as other people. It seems like there's this um, you know this lack of sort of giving giving yourself over uh, completely, right? Um, mm. I don't know. I, I don't know if we want to get off on discipleship. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a great story though from um, Saint Aidan um, founded a, the monastery on uh, the island of Lindisfarne. In fact, um, some of my friends live up there, and we went to visit a few weeks ago. Um, but he um, he was a great friend of the king of that region back in the seventh century, and um, I think the, the king. Um, was was pleased because he could see the, the difference in people's lives when Aidan spread the, the good news of the gospel. There. Um, so the king wanted to reward Aidan for his work, so he gave him this fantastic horse. Um, and uh, Aidan, Aidan um, gave it away to someone. He saw someone, a poor person somewhere, and decided to, to give the horse away. Uh, but he he. Also, he said he felt uncomfortable because the horse made him look down on people, whereas he wanted to be at the same level as, as people. Mm. So he, that's and the horse was kind of a status symbol in symbol in those days. So oh, he, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so interesting. He, he felt like, yeah, he he, he just want he just went everywhere on foot to, to the villages to. Yeah, well, we all have. We, I suppose, we all have a lot to learn from <laughs> these things. Yes. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we can't go back to those days, but but there's so much we can learn. I think. So yeah. Absolutely. Great. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's so, really yeah, cool yeah. stuff, man. Interesting. Yeah. So, so a lot of, uh, particularly in the early days of Iona, we were influenced by those kind of stories, and and uh, another one was the story of Saint Brendan. Um, who reputedly in the fourth century um, sailed the Atlantic Ocean and uh, reached America, reached Newfoundland years and years before the Vikings or um, uh, Christopher Columbus and those guys. Really? Um, and uh, it, it, so, it, interestingly, in 1976, um, an explorer um, decided to recreate Brendan's boat. Um, as it's described in these ancient stories, made of leather and, and wood, to see if it was actually physically possible to follow what it looked like the route that he'd been on. Because uh, in the descriptions, it seemed as though he'd gone by uh, Greenland, Iceland and Greenland and um, places. And, uh, and um, this guy, Tim Severin, managed to actually do that journey. Um, so it, it was actually possible to do it. And, so we, yeah, we did an album about that as well, and the, the basic premise was kind of faith because um, Brendan had felt that God had told him to go out onto the ocean, but he didn't know how long or for why. Uh, but he just trusted God that it was the right thing to do. So that seemed like a good good concept as well for, for an album. Right. Well, what a metaphor for many things in life where you know, yes, where we're kind yeah. of going out we feel like god wants us to go out uh and do something but we don't know mm. how it's going to turn out uh, no even it's something no. as simple as starting a family i mean you just you don't know how that's going to turn out you know you know just kind of walk in faith and trust that he's going to work everything out but yeah and it's really inspiring when we hear these stories of of uh people doing it and you know, having uh, 
miracles and wonderful things happen. I mean, that's that's kind yes. of the premise of our lives as people of faith, really. You know, mm. the great faith yeah. stories. And when people give their testimony, that's generally, you know, it's it's about that. Like, well, look, you know, I trusted God and I stepped out in faith and mm. and he met me and these one this is what happened these wonderful mm. things happened and there's nothing special about me no so no so he will do that for you too i mean yes. that, that is sort of uh, if it's not clearly stated it's always implied i think that so you mm. can too basically yes you know? so yeah. don't don't yeah. be afraid if you feel like god's calling you to something that seems maybe a little crazy or bigger than you are mm. because it kind of has to be that way. Doesn't it? It has to be bigger than you are or mm. else, or else well, you, you can take credit for it. You can figure out how you did it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, when I was, um, when we formed Iona, just in the months before that, I was thinking it was time for me to do, do my own project. Um, so I'd, um, hatched this plan I started writing some songs, which actually some of which ended up on the first Iona album. And um, I thought if I can, I'll manufacture a hundred cassettes. And I, I made a list of all the people who might buy it, like my aunties and uncles and <laughs> things. And then Iona happened and the, yeah, the first album sold like 10,000 or something in six months. Um, you know, and it's like, you know, you've got your own plans, but sometimes God has, you know, different plans. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, something much bigger. God can take, yeah, God can take what you have and, you know, just make it so much more than you can imagine. Right, um, right. And, yeah. and in such a uh, more, uh, something that has so much more depth, too, I feel like, you know, it isn't just about, the numbers of things it's about the no the, the depth of no. meaning in other people's hearts which is really exactly, i think yeah as musicians that whether we realize it or not that's what we're that's what we're here for and even when we yes. when, when we create yeah. when we create something that we feel is has a beauty to it or excitement to it or whatever whatever it has a power <laughs> to it um it seems like it's just never complete for us until it's shared and somebody else experiences something similar to what we experienced. Yes. When, when we yeah. when we thought of it or when it came to us or when we heard it. Yeah. You know. Yes. Um, yeah. And that's the frustrating part, I think, for musicians, isn't it? The the um, the <clears throat> delivery when there seems to be a blockage in the delivery of the you know when you can't find an audience i mean for years i couldn't find yes i couldn't yes. find any yeah. and you know i i was doing the 100 cassettes thing and mm. um after a while you know feeling like you had i had a lot of dead babies in the closet i think is the way i termed it yes in those yeah. days and I, yeah. I guess you know if there's any musicians out there feeling that way now i would you know, one of one of my main things is just like, wow, stay with it, because you know, I went mm. through some pretty dark years of of uh, feeling like, you know, wow, you know, it's never going to happen. People are never really going to hear. Uh, yes. This. Or, yeah. or, and then you start to wonder, well, maybe it's not. Maybe I don't really have anything. Maybe I. Maybe it's not as beautiful as I think it is. Yes. You know, yeah. people aren't seeming to get it. You know when I still go through that like I've been working on a I'm working on a project right now based on the book God Smuggler have you ever read that book uh brother Andrew uh, yeah. Yes yeah I've been uh, smuggling bibles into Russia Yeah yeah Yes behind the iron curtain in the 50s and 60s and Yeah I was reading it yeah. in my bible study and I just woke up one day and it mm. felt like God was prodding me to mm. write some songs based on it and so recently, I finished a batch of songs, and and I I've sent them out to a few people, but I haven't heard anything back yet. And it's funny <laughs> as as soon as I don't hear anything back, I um, you know it's just the human mind, you know yes. the yeah. the human mind will just go immediately to the worst case scenarios, right? Everybody hates yeah. it. Yeah, 
Yeah. You know, I guess yeah. it maybe it's maybe there's nothing to it. I should probably just quit. <laughs> right. At least I've lived yeah. long enough to like hear that and go like, oh, that's funny. Yeah. You know, if, if that, it, as, as an artist, though, that's kind of part of the sensitivity, I think. Sure. Yeah. Was, and I think it's just the human condition. I just want to encourage people because I've I felt that way about <laughs> many different projects. Yeah. You know, um, some of the songs, yeah. Spock's Beard songs that turned out to be some of the ones that people liked the most. Mm. No, I, I sent them, I sent cassettes to the guys back in those days, you know. Mm. There was no file sharing, of course. But if I did, and I remember I didn't, didn't hear anything back. Nobody called and mm. said anything and nobody commented on that song. And so I guess, yeah. that, I guess nobody liked it. I guess we better not record it. You know, yeah. Actually, I think it's one of the things. Like when you become more well known, people send you lots of um, tapes and, and demos and things, and ask for you to listen to them and that. And um, um, sometimes it's so much that it's impossible. But um, uh, I've always tried to encourage other people because I think it's um, when when you hear someone who you admire, you know, um, kind of comment on your work and it can be really en encouraging. And there's a few people, there's um, uh, a guy who came, came to an Iona gig when he was 17 and just gave me a cassette and said, oh, it's some, some songs I've, I've written. Um, and I listened to it when I got home and, and they were fantastic, <laughs> really great. So we, um, uh, we invited him to do a support on for a tour that we did subsequently and then um so we he went down really well and then joined a band called snow patrol um who like had lots of big hits yeah over in england yeah um, so yeah but I, I think sometimes you just have to um that that small word of encouragement and there's a, another guy who's now one of my best friends um called dave bronze who's a fantastic guitarist and writer um and he he um, he came to an Iona gig when he was I think eighteen, and he'd previously been into kind of heavy, really heavy metal stuff. Mm -hmm. But then something um, emotionally connected him to the music. Um, and a few years later, he came to an Iona concert and, and gave me a cassette of a couple of songs which he'd written, which I thought were great again. And um, yeah, so he asked me to play on one track and. I ended up producing his next three albums. <laughs> so, right. Wow. Uh, now, now he's and he, he at the time he was teaching. He, he no one knew uh, him apart from his pupils. Um, but now he's actually built up a, a following, and you know people are really connecting with his music as well. So, oh, that's great. Yeah, I love love that kind of thing when that when that happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, Stay with it, man. Stay with it. If you feel like, yeah. you know, you know when you have something, don't you? There's something inside. Yeah. There's something in your soul. It's like, I, you know, it, it's hard when, uh, you know, it, you can go through a time where you feel like people aren't really hearing it. Or they mm -hmm. maybe they are, but it's just not an, somehow enough, you know? Yes. I had, like, girlfriends yeah. back then that would encourage me. I mean, it wasn't like nobody encouraged me. But mm. I was looking for, in those days, I was looking for a major label deal in L.A. or nothing. Anything, yeah. anything yeah. else, anything else to me was just like, <coughs> oh, oh, yeah, we're big in Belgium. Oh, how sad. Mm. You know, mm. <laughs> for me, I mean, I don't know. That's where I was at back then. And yeah. uh, I couldn't, you know, having, uh, getting close with a couple major labels. You know, and then, mm. but never nothing really coming to fruition. But then, you know, it was so depressing. The music business can be so depressing. I remember playing a gig mm. at a place called At My Place in Santa Monica, California. And after mm. the gig, we were the our band was hanging around with these musicians from another band uh, at the bar there, and they had a record deal with a major label, and they mm. said, "Oh, God, whatever you do." 
don't get a major yeah. label deal. It's the worst. Yeah. Like the guy, the A&R guy who signed us then got traded to another company and now nobody cares about us, but we're stuck in this five-year deal and they're just sitting, yeah. on, they're just sitting on us. So I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> what? <laughs> There's no hope. <laughs> Oh, yeah. it, was, it was a terrible thing. And then, you know, we kind of just, uh, my brother and I, uh, you know, stumbled in a way, you know, I, of course, I believe it was all God's hand now. But at the time, mm. it was like, well, if we're going to fail, let's at least fail doing what we really, really love. Because we, mm. were, we were trying to do, yeah. I was trying <clears throat> to do things that I thought were good, but marketable, like... Yeah, you know, I was yeah. doing I was doing a singer songwriter thing, and I still love doing singer songwriter albums. But mm. you know, I was trying to do things that I thought, well, oh, this could be a hit, or you know, and then I was in a band. It was sort of like a journey band with a high, really high singer, and you know, trying to we were trying to make it. We were young, yeah. young guys yeah. trying to make it. And then in my early thirties, it was just like when you, if you're over thirty in L.A. and you still haven't gotten a record deal, it seemed like it was a pretty sad situation. And so we, yeah. my brother and I were like, well, if we're going to go down, let's do what we really love. I mean, what if we do like, you know, like like King Crimson or something, like something really weird <laughs> that nobody will like? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. and I, I, yeah. I, I kind of had this awakening. I did this self-growth course called The Forum, and, and mm -hmm. I came out of that like, wait a minute. I never wanted to – I didn't get into music because – I wanted to make money. I got mm. into music because I really loved. I loved it. I wanted to do big. When I was young, you know, I wanted to do big piece of music. I I wanted to write like West Side Story. I wanted to. Mm. I wanted to write, you know, uh, close to the edge. I, yeah, you know, and yeah. Yes. So I kind of had yeah. this awakening and just started doing that. Like when there was this is like ninety one or something. So you know how mm. how dead the landscape was for that kind of music. Yes, yes. You know, yeah. it was like, but yet still some of the heritage bands were playing stadiums mm. at that time. Yes. So in yeah. my mind, it's like, there must be a lot of people just like me. There must be millions of people that love this kind of music and just, they're just, they just don't think there's any new music like this. It could happen. It could happen. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> but still, yeah. that wasn't the inspiration. The inspiration just came. Yes, you know the music yeah. just started coming. You know, yeah, the, yeah, for, for, yeah. For for me, um, I think it's people. Well, I, I still believe that people really can see if if what you're doing is really from your heart and really genuine. Um, regardless of, um, I mean, we had this a lot with Iona because um, Iona. Um, Although not all of the music is is overtly kind of Christian, you know, um, some of it's you know can kind of ambiguous. It could be taken different on different levels, um, right. and obviously some of it's instrumental. Um, but um, I remember, well, it's happened quite a few times. But one particular guy came up to us at the concert um, afterwards, and he said. Um, I've never experienced anything like that. I don't know what it was. I've been to hundreds and hundreds of rock concerts. I've seen all the big bands, but there was something tonight that connected and I, I don't know what it was. <laughs> so, um, so I think, that, yeah, if, as long as what we do is like really genuine and I think people connect with it. Um, and it's when, it's when we try and do something like, like you were saying, people kind of try and persuade you that it, the commercial route that you have to modify what you're doing. Um, then I think that's when things go wrong. But, but yeah. um, I think, um, you know, you also it's finding your own niche as well and what what you really love and what you're really good at. And yeah. I think that's having, you know, followed um, what you've done over the years, you know, I've really seen that. You know, you've created a, an amazing niche you know, it's like your music's instantly recognizable, I think, as, as yours. And and I think people people love that. <laughs> uh, and it's, well, you yeah. know, people can feel the genuine you know, heart of it. Well, that uh, what you were saying about the uh, people saying that they they never experienced anything like that. Mm. I've uh, I've heard that a lot, too. 
Yeah. And I yeah. will always I always say that's the Holy Spirit. Yes. Yeah. That that's what you're experiencing and and that's what we pray for. Mm. You know, we want the Lord to come like we're we're the way I see it is we're making our little offering. Mm. We're going to play this music. But if he comes and touches it and touches people's hearts, then mm. then th- that that's what I mean about this depth. There's mm. this depth of experience and relationship and and possible the possible ramifications, possible eternal ramifications, right? Mm. From from yes. what we're from what we're doing. And we're expressing our hearts in a way that that we love to do so much. Mm. Yeah, right? you know, it's like we're it's such a such an amazing thing that you could have this joyous experience of of uh, music in a way that's so fulfilling to you, right? Mm. Like this is this is what I've feel like I've lived my life to do, right? And then God mm. touches it and does this amazing thing in mm. other people's hearts, and you're just like, it's just mind blowing, isn't it? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, it's, um, yeah. I was just thinking, um, we we did this I mean, um, the whole commercial thing was like in um, uh, we must have been in the mid '90s. We signed to. Um, a uh, upcoming kind of label in in America, which was a Christian label, but we we loved the guys there and they yeah. loved the music. But then um, uh, various people went, came and went, and we were uh, doing this album called Journey into the Mon, and had written the track. Uh, Joanne, the singer, had written the track called Irish Day, which was all about Columba and um, his. Uh, the journey to high honor and um, and uh, we thought it, it, it was kind of a probably a good track for um, St. Patrick's Day <laughs> but uh, we uh, they, uh, we thought it was one of our strongest tracks that could be a single and the uh, we got this memo back from the company in America saying because they were putting up some money towards the recording um, well, well we, we really like it but um, it would be really good and really help if you could mention Jesus a bit more in the in the, the lyrics. And we're thinking, oh, we just don't don't get this at all. And it's not, you know, it's kind of compromising, but in a different, in a, another direction. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I got that too. I tried to get what was it? Um, I don't know. Early on, I was trying to maybe see if I could you know, get some things going in the, in the Christian market. And, mm. uh, that didn't seem to work because, because there were, there was mentions like that to, yeah. me, to me as well. I yeah. experienced that as well. Not yeah. that I, not that I didn't but, want to say Jesus, but if, it, if the song no. didn't, if the song kind of didn't no. lend it, you don't want to just throw Jesus to have the background vocals say Jesus. Or <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yes. That would be like, be like really weird. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah um yeah i've had so many people come up and say to me after shows i'm still thinking about that like what did you do have you a- have had people ask you that what did you do what happened out there i've oh. never that was <laughs> yeah. what 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 happened they want to know yeah. what happened to them yes yes yeah no that's yeah happened a lot i mean yeah, yeah i think when when people's kind of spiritual side is awakened, it's it's quite a revelation. Yeah. Sure, I mean, I remember when I first experienced the Holy Spirit in church. I didn't know what was going on, really. I mean, you kind of figure it out, mm. but it, it's a unique experience. The yeah. spirit, you know. Uh, it's... Yeah, actually, one of the thing um, I used to uh, I um, didn't come from any kind of religious family but um um became um a, a christian after i'd um some students who came to our school kind of explained how, how much god really loves you you know and that was for me was really key and 
So I started going to all these. I had a friend who um, was great. He um, would take me to all these different churches, Church of England, Catholic Church, um, uh, Pentecostal. Um, and I realized that it wasn't where you were that um, mattered really. It was what you carried with you, you know, that relationship with God. Mm-hmm. So you could find, you could worship God in any circumstances really. Um, but anyway, we went to this um, this meeting. It was like a, uh, it was a quite famous guy. I think he's called Trevor Huddleston, um, speaking in the kind of mid seventies, and uh, there were people from all lots of different churches that come to this meeting. And there was a, uh, it was mainly quite formal Church of England um, time of worship, but this. Suddenly, everything went quiet, and at one point, there was um, the sound started coming from the back of the hall. You know, there was maybe two thousand people there, and it was a group of um, nuns who were singing in in, speak, in tongues in kind of the Holy Spirit, and it was the most amazing sound I'd ever heard. It was it sounded like um, literally like a waterfall of sound. Wow! And it really it touched me so deeply, and it, um, I realized a few years later that um, in a lot of the music I write, I've been trying to kind of recreate that feeling and that sound. Right. Because um, it was a key moment that kind of, um, again, was like a thin place where heaven and earth really seemed like joined together. You're right. Yeah, the um, lines... The lines get blurred between heaven and yeah. earth. Yeah, and, and yeah, that the, the music that they were singing was it was completely unaccompanied, um, but it uh, really touched everyone's spirit. Who was who was there? It was incredible. Wow, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, you got a new record? J- yes, just, just came out, right? Uh, not quite yet. It's coming out. Um, Kind of towards the end of this month, beginning of next month. But you can pre-orders are available, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, yeah you can pre-order it now. Yes, yeah. It's um, uh, it's called "To the Far Away," and um, uh, yeah, largely. I mean, like everyone was um, busy recording during the, the pandemic. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I was due to get get married uh, in March last year. Um, to um, uh, Sharon, my fiance, in in America, and she a few weeks earlier, had, uh, she'd been over in Britain and gone back to America, and I was due to join her. In fact, you you were going to do officiate at the yes uh, the service on the cruise to the edge, yes, uh, which was so we had it all arranged. We had um, bridesmaids and everything, and dresses made, and uh, the plan was to have a ceremony on cruise to the edge, and then a an official wedding back. Um, in Baltimore, um, but um, in the space of a couple of days, um, the borders were closed, and um, so for eight, the next eight and a half months, I couldn't get over to America. So we were uh, separated for that time. Um, fortunately, we're able to uh, Skype every day, and that, and um, uh, eventually, uh, I found a way to marry a country that wasn't on the US's. Uh, COVID exclusion list. Um, so um, yeah, I made this journey via Frankfurt uh, in Germany to Mexico City to Cancun and spent 15 nights there so I could get into America. No um, kidding. And then we reunited. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's quite so- a, an adventure because it, it was the hurricane season and um, I got there two weeks after there'd been quite a serious hurricane and there was a, a category two hurricane went through. Uh, on a pretty much direct hit on uh, where I was staying, but uh, um, but fortunately, <laughs> so I survived and got to America, and then we were eventually married in December. All right, um, but a lot That's of great. the um, so a lot of the theme of the album is to do with um, uh, thoughts because every day when I was here, we'd um, Skype, and as I was walking down the country lane that I live on. And um, um, so I was quite inspired by the landscapes around here and just by thoughts of, you know, of us being apart and eventually getting together. 
Yeah. So um, it's quite a personal album in a way, but also wanted it not to be kind of a maudlin album about separation, but about hope and right. hope that you know things will will work out. Um, so uh, it's it's quite proggy in, in places, um, cool. definitely. Uh, uh, and I've got um, some of my friends from Iona play on it. Um, and um, the Life Science, they, um, John Poole from Life Science, the other band I play with. Um, so yeah, there's uh, one one track. I think the longest track is 14 and a half minutes. A track called Ghost Light, um, which um, is inspired by in, in the. I don't know if it's the case in America, but in England, um, there's a tradition in in theatres that when um, the performance is finished at the end of the day and everyone goes home. They leave a, a light on the stage, and it's symbolic of the time when the performance will return the next day. Mm. Um, so this was particularly significant in in the pandemic when theatres right. were shut for over a year. Um, so I kind of constructed a track called Ghost Light around that the idea. Um, That's cool. Well, if yeah. any of you uh, have not heard dave's music you need to need to buy it all it's uh <laughs> yeah your 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 stuff is just just wonderful i think people will really really enjoy it and i hope oh, uh, thank you. Yeah. yeah so how, how can they how can they pre-order it yes uh so it's from musicglue.com and then forward slash iona i-o-n-a okay um, and that's for your so solo stuff too that's our store, yeah, and all my okay. solo stuff and all the Iona stuff is, is on there and various collaborations, and yeah. you can pre-order. The, what, uh, tell me the names of your solo albums. Um, yeah, so the first one was called Veil of Gossamer. Yeah. And then, uh, then I did a, um, what was next? Oh, yeah, Celestial Fire. Yeah, was, Celestial uh, Fire. That was the one that I was listening to quite a bit several years ago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, in fact, Randy George uh, played all the bass on that one. Oh, really? Is that right? Okay. Yes. Yeah, and uh, drummer was um, um, Colin Leonard. Oh, right. Oh, great. Yeah, that's right. I remember now. It's all coming back. Yes. yes. Yeah. And what was so, the one after that? Then I did a solo piano album called The Remembering. Okay. Which, funnily enough, I, at the time, um, it was must have been something subconscious because it I, Forgotten that it was the side. I think it's side two of um, Tales from Topographic Oceans. By yes, mm. uh, subtitle. But uh, anyway, that wasn't um, the link. But that was a just a solo piano improvisation album. Um, yes. And then um, yeah, then this one to the far away is the next one. Cool, cool. Well, um, it's been great talking with you, Dave. I, I always love talking with you. We we get together and talk about spiritual things whenever we get a chance yes. and uh yes. you know let's uh let's keep talking about that record that you, we've talked about i was wondering if to the far yes. away i was wondering mm. if to the far away was was it no no i've still got um yeah lots of ideas uh, in a separate folder on my uh, laptop yeah uh, the the one that we spoke about so yeah that'd be great if we can work on that at some point yeah i would i would yeah. like to do that yeah. yeah i'm i think we can i think we can work it out yeah <laughs> actually talking of which i've got something out because that reminded me of the beatles um yeah my because my my mum played um like from mid 60s to probably the 80s she played organ in a working man's club in the north of England. And um, so every week she'd buy sheet music um, of all the latest hits and then play them on the organ at, at the weekends. Um, but when she died, um, I inherited a whole pile of her music. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, so uh, there's, there's a whole load of like original, if you can see this, um, Beatles sheet music wow. from the 1950s. That's cool. But, yeah. So. Yeah, all the um Wow. That must be worth yeah. a lot now, huh? 
Yeah, possibly, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, they, it's nice for the photos on the front, actually. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, but there's loads of them. Um, oh, Fool on the Hill from Magic on the Scooter. But did they get the chords right? I, I found a music... music <laughs> yeah, not always. <laughs> pop, pop music back then, like, I think it's yeah. a lot better now, but I think... I remember sheet music, whenever we would look in the shops when yes. try play through it, it's yeah. like, that's not right. That's a no, that's no. a B minor seven. What what do they say in a D for, you know? Yeah. They do have um guitar symbols on, on some of these, but whether they're right, probably not all right. That's probably the oldest one. All right. That's great. Yeah. Cool. Mm, anyway, it's a whole whole lot of them. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. My dad, my dad used to um, collect books uh, and work in a, a bookshop, antique bookshop at uh, weekends. Um, and he got me some Beatles books from the 1960s, which I've got uh, somewhere. Um, there's a like a original anthology of um, John Lennon's poems in this little book. Oh, from, wow. I, think, I think it's from about 1965. And then there's another one, an illustrated book from mid 60s with um, some fantastic um, psychedelic artwork in, and which is um, put alongside Beatles lyrics. Uh, yeah, your dad was a guitar player, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. he taught me basics when I got started. Yeah, well, mm -hmm. you've taken it a long way. Yeah, you, you said, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I know very many. I can't think of hardly anybody that plays... Maybe Eric Gillette or is the only person I know that plays both keys and guitar like as well as you do. It's Yeah, yeah, Eric's fantastic. Yeah, I've heard yeah. him play both. Yeah, he's he's yeah. he's crazy, but Yeah. Well check, my dad check plays Dave guitar. Out. Check out this yeah. guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My dad played guitar and banjo, actually. My mum played accordion and, and organ, so I kind of inherited a bit from both, but it's a nightmare yeah. going to gigs and having to take like keyboards and a guitar rig. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, yeah, I was too lazy, like doing like regular club gigs in the eighties. I just took like a Music Man amp and I put everything into it. I put the keyboards into it and the guitar. It just like it. And the funny thing was, it wasn't really good for any either. Thing. It wasn't great for either. No, thing. it was terrible. Actually, I did the same. I had a I did the same with a Fender Twin Reverb, putting like a guitar through it and a Fender Rhodes piano. Yeah, and yeah, that never sounded very good. No, no, it doesn't sound very good. But who can, who's going to take a whole two yeah. whole rigs? My goodness, <clears throat> I'm only making sixty yeah. bucks or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right, man. Well, I'm glad. Uh, so you're in America then. Not at the moment. I mean, in the UK, oh, um, okay. and my wife Shannon's here. So we, we, at the moment, we're um, living both sides of oh, the Atlantic. Okay. But I, I'm applying for a green card. Okay. Um, so hopefully that will come through Great. in the next year, we hope. All right. Well, tell um, her I said hello, and uh, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Yes. Yeah. Cheers. Very good. Well, we'll see you again soon, maybe on the next cruise. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, are you playing there with the your the Neil Moss band or no Transatlantic? Transatlantic, yeah, yeah. Are you That's on there? Yeah, yeah. I'm playing with Life Signs again. Oh, um, good. And Fernando Podomo, his band, and Gabriel Lagudo from Argentina. Oh my so, goodness! Yeah, you'll be very busy. <laughs> yeah, I've got six gigs. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> yes, I'll wave to you in the hallway. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, man. Take care, Dave. All right. Yeah. God bless. Bye. Bye. Take care.